When I did my first gig, I didn't really have any comedy heroes to speak of, you know? Like, it's not like I loved, you know, I mean, I knew who Billy Connolly was, but I wasn't necessarily a massive Billy Connolly fan. I knew who Steve Martin was. I mean, I loved Steve Martin, but I loved him in movies. And I loved Jim Carrey, but I loved him in movies. And the same as, you know, Dan Aykroyd or John Belushi. I loved him in movies. But as far as stand-up goes, I don't know, I just kind of fell in love with it. Well, just before I introduce today's guest, a big shout out to Pete Oldfield and the Southern Slugs for sponsoring this episode. They've got a wonderful trip happening in December over there in Phuket in Thailand for those interested in playing some over 35s footy. Get involved in that. Head over to the Southern Slugs Facebook page for more information. Well, what an absolute pleasure it is to have Anthony Limo Lehman on Comedy Legends with Bevo for the first time. Bevo! Two said dreams don't come true, eh? Here we are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Finally chatting on beers with Bevo, right? So yeah, yes. Look, I don't have a beer with me. I've got. I'm having a water at the moment, but it's a bit <laughs> probably a bit early in the day for me. <laughs> well, it's five o'clock somewhere, isn't it? Around the world, as they say. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> I needed zero percent alcohol beer. The which the the rise of zero percent alcohol alcohol in inverted commas it does disturb me. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on that. What's the point? (laughs) What is the point? I don't understand. Yeah, They say, you know, places like Dan Murphy's will tell you that sales are going through the roof. It's their fastest growing market. This is a millennial. I don't understand millennials. I never understood them to start with. And I continue to not understand them. (laughs) I'm I'm with you. I'm with you, mate. Hey, speaking of dreams come true, not many people probably know this, but back in 2005, you actually broke a Guinness World Record for the most jokes told in an hour of 549. Round of applause, mate. That's a sensational Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Tell us more about this and and how you prepared for this as well. They were... So here's... I'll give you a quick version of the long story. In 2003, I did a show at the Adelaide Fringe... No, in 2002 at the Adelaide Fringe called My Goodness, My Guinness, which was a show about the Guinness Book of Records and my love of the Guinness Book of Records. And to help promote that show, in Rundle Mall one day, one lunchtime, I broke the Guinness World Record for most jokes in an hour in Rundle Mall, right? But I only did it as promo for my show. So I never submitted it. And I didn't really care much, to be honest. I just wanted, and loads of people turned out in Rundle Mall. It was really fun. Adam Spencer emceed it for me, and it was all great, right? But it was good promo for the show. Then I did that show in 2003 at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, right? So I thought, well, I'll do the same stunt out the front of the town hall. But this time, Rove covered it, Rove Live, on a Tuesday night. So... Damien Callanan was with me counting the jokes. There was a big crowd at the front of the town hall and Rove during the show did crosses back and forth to get the joke count, blah, blah, blah. And I broke the record. And But again, I didn't submit it because I didn't really care. I just wanted to the promo for my solo show, right? So I did that and that was great. Then two years later, Channel 7 contacted me and they said, we've got this TV show about the Guinness Book of Records hosted by Grant Denyer and someone else, I can't remember. 
and they said, do you mind doing your jokes in an hour thing for our TV show? And I thought, oh, yeah, that's a bit of fun, sure. So I did it again for the at the Rhino Room in Adelaide for that television show on Channel 7 about Guinness records. They would just go around to different people who were breaking records. And they filmed it, and then I broke the record. But by that time, the record was 499 jokes. When I first did it in 2002, the record was like 250 or something. Oh, wow. And then anyway, Tim Vine, an English comedian, held it 499. I did 549, and it was for the TV show, and they ticked off on it, and I'm in the book (laughs) in 2009. I've got it here somewhere in my office, which is cool, and I got a certificate and everything else. But I never really cared much about the record. And then Tim Vine, or not necessarily Tim Vine, but someone lodged a complaint with Guinness saying that I used these cheat cards while I did it. What? Are you kidding? Which you were allowed to use 10 cheat cards. That was part of the rules when I did it. So there's one word on each card as a reminder of a category of jokes or whatever. Anyway... So Guinness changed their rules to say you couldn't use any cheat cards, so they took the record off me and gave it back to Tim Vine. Oh, So that, that is the journey of me breaking the Guinness World Record for most jokes an hour. So I've done it three times, got the record once, had it taken off me, but I am in the book, and they can't take that off me because the book's on my shelf <laughs> right here. And they can't take the certificate because that's, that's here somewhere as well. I don't know where it is, but it's here somewhere as well. And so that's the story of that. Then as far as learning them, look, they were all just crap jokes off the internet. So it was, you know, I learned them in categories of 20s. So it was like man walks into a doctor's surgery jokes, guy walks into a pub jokes, husband and wife jokes, you know, knock-knock jokes. And I just remembered them in groups of 20. But they were all crap. They were just such bad jokes. People would say to me, now I held the Guinness World Record for jokes an hour. Quick, tell us some jokes. And I just can't remember. Because <laughs> they were that bad. They were so bad. But also, for the jokes to be included, they had to be laughed at. That was one of the rules, right? So I had a handful of fake laughers in the crowd. So if ever you go back and watch the vision, I'll, I'll do a joke like, you know, a skeleton walks into a bar and says, oh, can I have a pint? And you better get me a mop with that, right? And then so you hear someone in the crowd go, nah. <laughs> Another joke, someone goes, ah. So you just hear fake laughing through the whole thing. Anyway, it was all just, I only ever did it to promote my solo show at the Adelaide Fringe and the Melbourne Comedy Festival. And then Channel 7 chased me down to do it properly for the, that TV That's show. Brilliant. Most jokes told in an hour. There it is. So it's just there. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> good. Oh, good. Yeah. So it says uh, Anthony Lehman told a total of 549 jokes in one out of the Rhino Room Club, Adelaide, South Australia, on May 25, 2005. Yeah. Surely, when you when you promote your shows, Lemo, that must be on your on your little bio there, <laughs> Guinness World Record yeah, holder. It's, it's funny, you know. I mean, I never, <clears throat> I never spruik it just because. It was never like it was never a dream of mine to break that record, and I kind of, in the end, did it only because Channel Seven had asked me to, and I thought it'd be good promo. <laughs> it was never something I kind of pursued. 
<laughs> but anyway, it's nice to bend. It's nice to bend the ball. Yeah. And can you remember? I know it's a long time ago now, 2005. But can you remember what the two best jokes were that you told? Oh God. They were just, you know, it would have been things like, "What's brown and sticky? A stick." Like that. I'm sure that would have been one of them. Three men walked into a bar. You'd think one of them would have seen it. I mean, it's all those, just so many of those. Doctor, doctor, I feel like a set of curtains. Shut up and pull yourself together. You know, just all of that. <laughs> They're so bad that you can't help but laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the point. And it kind of, there was a bit of that on the night. Like, that was so bad that people, you know, couldn't help but laugh along, you know. Oh, so, yeah. That's great. And another thing that, found out as well uh, actually i've got to thank rory my producer for this one doing a bit of research yeah. for me. but um you're actually a chartered accountant before you started getting into comedy with limo tell us about that career yeah. change and how this came about i worked as an accountant from 1991 to 2001 and i did my first ever uh comedy gig at bolt cafe in adelaide on the 1st of december 1993 so nearly coming up on 30 years ago now. So I did that and I just fell in love with it immediately. So I did accounting and comedy at the same time for seven years, roughly, uh, before I finally went, or really eight years, actually, before I finally went, you know what, I'm going to quit this day job and do comedy full time. So, yeah, I was just, you know, and I was just going to be an accountant. That was my, that was my thing. You know, because I grew up in a, I grew up in country South Australia, where your career choices were, you know, you become a school teacher, a farmer, or a, or an accountant, and that was it. <laughs> I, I chose accountant, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I, you know, and I did it for a few years, and I did, you know, I kind of enjoyed it while I was doing it, and then I worked for a couple of different banks in London. I worked for Citibank and Deutsche Bank in London for about three years as well, but I was doing comedy in London at the same time. Is doing that but yeah eventually i just i stopped enjoying it you know like i would turn up to work my boss called me into his office one day and said are you quitting and i was thinking about it right and he so i said well why do you say that he said well you haven't ironed a shirt in six months <laughs> and he goes <laughs> you're taking every second monday off and i <laughs> and you wear a tie to work every second day and i went oh yeah yeah, I am quitting. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, it's probably about time. So he knew, he knew where my where my heart was. And and where did you first develop that passion for comedy? And and was it through, like, someone on TV or through a family friend? Or yeah, where did you get that influence? Well, it was really my passion for it. Really came through just doing it. To be honest, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have any when I did my first gig. I didn't really have any comedy heroes to speak of. You know. Like, it's not like I loved, you know, I mean, I knew who Billy Connolly was, but I wasn't necessarily a massive Billy Connolly fan. I knew who Steve Martin was. I mean, I loved Steve Martin, but I loved him in movies. And I loved Jim Carrey, but I loved him in movies. And the same as, you know, Dan Aykroyd or John Belushi, I loved him in movies. But as far as stand-up goes, I don't know, I just kind of fell in love with it without having a kind of a hero. But then when I started doing it and I started getting into it more, that's when I fell in love with Sam Kinison and George Carlin and Jerry Seinfeld 
And I used to love the little snippets of stand-up on the TV show Seinfeld. That used to, that excited me, you know, so I love that. So it was only after I started doing it that I really started falling in love with stand-up comedy as a thing. I mean, I loved performing. I was always a joke teller ever since I was a kid. You know, I was all, I'd, Eve, as a 10-year-old, I'd be at our footy club rooms every Saturday night just going from group to group telling jokes to people. <laughs> you know, or if people wanted to hear a joke, they knew I'd have one, so they'd call me over. And they'd go, tell us a joke. What do you got? So I was this sort of roving child jester at our football club, you know, <laughs> as a kid. I always loved that attention. I loved making people laugh. You mentioned before gig number one, you talked about it, you know, it was in Adelaide. And uh, how did it go, yeah. Limo? It was, you know what, I just killed. Like, I absolutely smashed. It was unbelievable. Like, for, for you couldn't dream of a first gig going any better wow. than mine. I absolutely smashed it. And then that just, then I, that was it. I was hooked from that moment. And look, if I'd gone on stage and completely died, would I have kept coming back? I don't know. I don't know. Because you need a thick skin in comedy. But luckily I got a taste of what it feels like to make people laugh like that. So, yeah, I fell in love straight away. And I remember my first ever routine was about holding in when you start dating someone new and you hold your farts in. And that was, that was so it was a fart routine, but it was a story. Like it had a beginning, middle, and an end, and it had a great punchline. It was a really good bit, you know, for a first for a first up crack at comedy. But I remember being so nervous, I was blind drunk as well. Like I was blind, but still, you know, but still did it. And it wow, that's uh, that's risky because that could go two ways, couldn't it? It could definitely go the other way. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Not recommend oh, it. I know exactly what you mean, though. I remember going on dates with girls and you're just holding in farts and your stomach is so sore. And then <laughs> as soon as you finish that date, you get back into the car and then just let them all go because your stomach's just <laughs> like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> let it go. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that was my first ever routine. And it's just, you know, started what's been a great career for me. And has there been career, my, my career started with the fart? <laughs> with the farts, I love it. <laughs> has there been some jokes that you've told, perhaps in Australia, and then you've gone overseas and told those same jokes, but they haven't gone down as well because of you know the different kind of cultures? Yes. Uh, oh, look, I'm sure there has been. I mean, nothing, nothing springs to mind, but you definitely have to, you know alter stuff a little bit depending on where you are. I mean, there's not a lot of stuff that you can present in the exact same manner. And it's even little words you have to change as well when you travel. You know, fanny has a different meaning here than in the US, you know, you've got to be careful. <laughs> and thong. And thong as well, you know. So <laughs> you need to look out for those things. But even in Australia, I noticed with pandemic stuff, with COVID stuff, the COVID experience in Victoria was very different to the COVID experience in South Australia. Of so course. even there, you had to change, alter material depending on your audience, you know. Yes, they were in lockdown yeah. a lot longer, yeah. Yeah, so you're always changing little bits and pieces here and there. Yeah. And what's been the strangest place you've done a gig before, Limo, in your 30-plus year career? Probably in the desert in Afghanistan, I guess, is, would have to be. It's hard to get weirder than that. 
performing to Australian troops in Afghanistan. That would be that would be the weirdest place, I think. Like now, if you'd told me when I started doing comedy that I'd be performing in Afghanistan one day, I would not have believed you. Yeah. So that's 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 got to be it, I think. I mean, I was due to do a gig in Antarctica, but we had to quickly get out because the storm was coming. And when a storm, because we said we were at the base and we were doing a story for the project and I was going to do a comedy gig that night <clears throat> and bad weather was coming and they said, no, you have to get out and fly back to Australia. And we said, well, can't we just wait till the storm passes? And they said, it was funny, they said in Antarctica, you don't fuck with storms. <gasps> the, the storm could go for a month. Wow. And like complete whiteout where you can only see one inch in front of you. It's like you have to get out now. Jeez. Or you might be here for a long time. <laughs> we, had to, we had to leave. I was with Josh Frydenberg as well, who was the environment minister at the time. So oh. we had to leave, unfortunately. So that would have been high on the list of weird places to do gigs. But Afghanistan, uh, I think, is definitely number one. Yeah, and I wanted to get back to that, actually, because it must be hard doing a comedy show for, for, for troops that are going through some pretty tough times, let's be honest, and you know they've witnessed some of their friends pass away and a lot of, obviously, mental health issues that, that some of them have got as well from, and, and we know that the post-traumatic situations that some of these guys have post-war and what have you. So, yeah, what was that experience like, Limo? Uh, it, you know what, the gigs are just such a joy and you know they're they're amazing audiences because they're in a high stress environment uh it's a high stress job and there are all sorts of pressures nagging at them every day from work pressure you know and pre stress from home as well i mean there's people who are away from their families for six nine twelve months at a time so when you perform comedy for them, they are ready to laugh and they need a laugh. So the, some of the best gigs I've ever done have been in Afghanistan to the troops. And, you know, and it feels good as well. You feel like you're doing a good thing when you're providing them with some relief from that super stressful environment that they're in. Yeah. So they're great. Also, when the hecklers have got guns, I mean, you do <laughs> try a little bit <laughs> how do you deal with how do you deal with hecklers in general at, at your comedy gigs? Because everyone has their different ways of dealing with them. Oh, uh, look, I've changed over the years. I'm now I've been inspired by Stuart Lee, English comedian Stuart Lee, who said because I used to be really combative with hecklers, right? I'd have all my heckle put downs, and if someone started on me, I'd just go bang, 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 and just hammer them, <laughs> like obliterate them, okay? But that was when I was younger and had a bit more attitude about myself on stage. Now I'm inspired by Stuart Lee who once said that he treats every heckle as a genuine inquiry. So when someone heckles, he doesn't respond back to put them down. He asks what they mean by the question. Can you please explain yourself to me? Which is just brilliant because heckles invariably are just brain farts. So as soon as you ask one question of someone to explain themselves, they've got nothing. <laughs> they end up just embarrassing themselves trying to explain what they mean. By the 
So I like it. That's kind of how I deal with it these days. <laughs> and you once played yourself on Neighbours as well, Lemo. What was that experience yes. like? <laughs> it was great. It was great. The, uh, the original script I got was for me to play a character who was dying in a comedy club, right? And then someone comes into this kid comes into the room, one of the neighbours uh, actors, I can't remember the character's name, but he comes into the comedy room and jumps, he's being chased by someone. And he jumps up on stage and grabs the mic and cracks a joke and it's heaps funnier than anything the comedian had done. That was kind of how they'd meant it to roll out. And I said, look, I don't really fancy dying on stage because since comedy is the thing I do, you know, even if I'm playing a character. I said, what if I play myself and I'm just doing my own material and it's funny and then the kid comes in and he's really funny as well. And they said, yeah, fine, that's great. So I got to play, so I got to play myself doing stand-up comedy on Neighbours, which was amazing. And, when, and I have to pinch myself. When I look at the list, because if there's a Wikipedia page dedicated to, the, which just lists all of the uh, cameos on Neighbours over the years, and it's pretty wild. It's a pretty wild list. Yeah. And so to be on that list is uh, it's a it's a real honour to be honest. It's yeah, it's, it's like it's a Perry, big name. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You know, Warney. There's just so many absolute mega stars on that list. So it's great to be. There. <laughs> and whilst we're on the topic of TV shows, Utopia is going gangbusters, Limo. We're into season number five. They're doing the filming at the moment. Um, we'll get to that in a moment. Yes. But uh, So, Limo, obviously Utopia is going really well. You're doing some filming at the moment for that, for season number five. What attracted you yeah. to the role of uh, playing Jim? Look, the main attraction for me was working with the geniuses at Working Dog who are, when it comes to television in Australia, I'm not sure. Well, there's definitely not a team who has contributed more to the Australian comedy landscape than the working dog team. Everything they touch turns to gold and they are just a joy to work with. So as soon as I got the offer, it could have, I could have been playing a serial killer who, you know, who hated puppies or some, I don't know, but I would have <laughs> said yes, if it was meant working with working dog. Um, but it was for this amazing comedy. So I just jumped. That required no thinking time whatsoever. Just the opportunity to work with those guys uh, was enough for me. So I was just in straight away. And as it's turned out, it's just been such a gift professionally for me to be able to do now five seasons of this amazing character, Jim, who's really annoying uh, but incredibly relatable for so many people who work in the public service and just really frustrating, but also funny for a lot of viewers as well. So it's just, it's a joy to be able to do it and to read the scripts that, you know, Tom Gleisner, Rob Sitch and Santo Chalaro write. It's just a joy. So I love it. So I would have done anything with Working Dog and I'm just over the moon that it's turned out to be Jim Gibson, tedious public servant faceless man uh, in utopia and how do you balance doing the show with your comedy gigs as well limo so i oh, look you know we film largely you're filming during the day so it's a fine you can go off and gig at night well when we are filming though i i prefer to be honest to not have gigs at night i like to just focus on you know my character what he's up to 
get into the zone. My character's motto, and, you know, people listening might know someone like this. You might know someone like this, Bevo. Uh, but my character's motto is a problem passed on to someone else is a problem solved. So... <laughs> I don't think a, lot of people, a lot of people in government can relate to that. Yes, I worked in government for 11 years, so I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> a lot of people, they just push, move shit around from one office to another or one department to oh, another. That's they, lo- they, love the, they love the handball, Emo. <laughs> yeah. Jim just walks around with pockets full of grenades and just throws them to people's offices <laughs> as he wanders on his merry way and sleeps like a baby at night. <laughs> And have you got a bit of a teaser for season number five for the people that are listening today or watching? Yeah, sure. Um, what can I tell you? Look, there, there's a lot going on. There's uh, there's a solar panel rollout that goes a little bit pear shaped. There's dramas around the office. With the, I mean, with the episodes now, the writing is so tight, and the episodes are so dense that now there are five storylines running through every episode so you'll have a storyline about a super boring work colleague at the same time as a story about uh you know a statue that someone's trying to knock down somewhere and then there's a storyline about the solar panel rollout and then there's a storyline about you know a photocopy not working in the office so there's something in, in in every episode there is something for someone at least uh, yeah, it's, but it's just so much fun. But yeah, every episode has about five or six different things going on at the same time. And the rest of 2023, what's happening for, for Limo as well as Utopia? You've got some geese coming up. Yeah, lots of gigs around the place. Uh, you follow me on social media. That's where I tend to plug the gigs that I've got. A lot, a lot of corporate stuff as well that I'm doing these days, which I really enjoy. And look, the Ashes is about to start, so I'm going to watch a lot of cricket. Uh, Hawthorne aren't great at footy at the moment, but I'm going to watch a lot of Hawthorne as well. <laughs> and also there's Wimbledon, Tour de France. It's a good time to be alive. Absolutely. And let's just finish with your Hawks. Uh, how'd you first yeah. get love for the Hawks? How'd that happen? You, you mentioned before you, you were born in Adelaide. How did the, the love yeah. for the Hawks occur? Well, I grew up in country South Australia, and my local footy team, the Brownswell Football Club, we had brown and gold stripes. So that was it. I was a hawk from a very young age. Just fell in love, fell in love with the brown and gold. Not many people fall in love with brown and gold, but I did. <laughs> I've been a mad hawk since as long as I can remember, and they've brought me a lot of joy over the years. So uh, I'm very happy with my choice. Yeah, I think they're heading in a good direction as well, Lima. Give them a few years and... They'll be all right. Yeah, I think they are. I think they are. They're going to be all right. Yeah. Well, Anthony Limo, Lehman, thank you so much for joining us on Comedy Legends with Bevo. It's been an absolute blast. Keep up the great work with Utopia and and, and your gigs. And once again, uh, plug yourself. Where do we find you? Uh, well, you can go to the socials. I'm Limo23 on Twitter, Limo15 on Instagram, and just Limo on Facebook. Uh, get in there and I'll see you at a comedy club or... Whatever. Soon in the ABC, 8 p.m. Wednesday nights on the ABC. A Utopia, 8 p.m. Wednesday nights on the ABC. Love it, mate. Keep up the great work and we look forward to catching up when you're in Adelaide next. Good on you, Bevo. Appreciate the support. Mm.